Welcome back to The Ancient Gift. Your host is October Hallam. I'm Chris Matthew, and I'll be introducing her guest today. Her guests are Timothy Renner and Lon Strickler. Timothy is an author, illustrator, host of Strange Familiars podcast, paranormal investigator, and folk musician living in Pennsylvania. His illustrations have appeared in the pages of various books, magazines, and comics, as well as on many record and CD covers. Lon Strickler is a Fortean researcher, author, and publisher of the syndicated Phantoms and Monsters blog. His research and reports have been presented on various television segments, and he has also written several books. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining The Ancient Gift. I am October Hallam, and this evening I have Timothy Renner and Lon Strickler, and we're going to be unpacking the topic of cryptids. Now, to be quite honest with everybody, as I spoke with Lon earlier and uh, Timothy, I don't have a lot of knowledge about cryptids, just what I've heard, of course, the typical Bigfoot and Yeti and uh, things of that nature. Um, But there are some fascinating stories throughout history and folklore throughout the world and especially in our country. And I thought that they could share enlighten us with um, some of their stories and uh, their their knowledge, um, you know, on the subject. So who wants to lead, Lon or Timothy? Go ahead, Tim. Well, you're throwing it to me. I say, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit. I have your bio, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness. So I've been in this this weird stuff since I was a kid. I just loved it. And I didn't I didn't know what folklore was when I was a kid. It just it was just cool stuff. Right. So I I wanted to go where all the ghost stories were. If I heard about a ghost story, I wanted to go to that place. You know, if I I lived, grew up on a farm in northern Maryland. And if somebody said, oh, you know, this house is haunted or there's supposed to be a ghost on this road. I, I always wanted to go to that place and really, really loved it. And, you know, later on, I, I learned that this stuff is called folklore. I was like, oh, this, this, is, this is what I've been loving since I was a kid. But as far as cryptids, I grew up in what I call like the golden age of Bigfoot, which is I was born in 1970. The uh, famous Patterson Gimlin film, if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. was filmed in 67, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, right before I was born, but really people didn't get to see it until around the time I was born. Um, then in search of was on TV and legend of Boggy Creek was in the theaters. And, and it, was this- it wasn't Leonard Nimoy, the narrator for in search of. Oh yeah. 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 Fantastic show. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. So it was a great time to grow up, to be into this stuff. So Bigfoot kind of had this pop culture moment going on then as it does now mm-hmm. kind of a resurgence. But uh, I, I really loved it um, from the start. And, <laughs> you know, as I got a little older, I began to get more seriously interested in, in it and started writing books. And then I started a podcast where I talked to witnesses every week. And uh, I, honestly, Lon was a, was a big uh, influence and a, and a mentor for me when I got <laughs> started. So I, I always love talking with Lon because I, I consider him uh, Definitely someone who gave me help along the way to get where I am. And what's your latest book? My latest book is called The Witch Cloud, and it has to do with haunted bridges in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, I really want to go there. As a historian and a medium, Gettysburg holds a a double-edged, you know, interest for me uh, as far as like the Civil War battle, obviously, but um, 
also as you know medium going to the haunted places and the battlefields i heard that you can at some points during the year and some dates there actually you can see the spirits of uh the civil war soldiers on the battlefield and actually hear sometimes like uh the gunshots and there's mists and things like that that pop up have you guys heard about that i've seen photos that people have taken wow. that i mean i can only say what they claim to, to show and they said there were no reenactors there that are stunning photographs of in like entire I, I, I'm not a military guy. I'm going to say unit. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know the, the size. It was, it was a bunch of Confederate soldiers, it, it looked like. Uh, there's some fantastic photos that pop up. There's a, uh, I think, a paranormal, Gettysburg Paranormal Group on Facebook. I think that's where I saw them. But there's some fantastic photos. But yeah, Gettysburg is an amazing place. Uh, you know, come during the day for history and stay at night for the ghosts. So that's that's what I tell people. Interesting. Um I, I was just going to ask you two real quick. Lana, I'm going to get to you, I promise. But as far as um, I know that they do reenactments, when do you know that if when they do reenactments, does that incite any kind of activity to, you know, start manifest? I, I don't have a strong answer for that. I've no I, I anecdotally anecdotally. I think people have said it can, but I've never talked to anyone specifically that said, you know, I was a reenactor and blank, blank and blank happened at Gettysburg. I have talked to reenactors on other Civil War battlefields. I think mm -hmm. uh, Antietam, I had a, a guest on my podcast who had a pretty strange encounter uh, in Antietam as, as a reenactor. So Ooh, Cool. And um, so, Lon, tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and how, how you got into the world of cryptids. Well, I was born and raised um, just east of Gettysburg, and uh, I actually moved down to Maryland for about 40 years. And I know the areas Tim used to hang around at and lived that down there. So, you know, we kind of followed Pat same paths. He moved up to Pennsylvania. Now I'm living back up here. Um, my first encounter or first experience in the paranormal was at Gettysburg. Actually, I was, I used to spend a lot of time on the battlefield when I was a kid. Uh, I used to get on my bike and ride up 116 over to the battlefield. I spent a lot of Saturdays and summer afternoons there. And one particular day, I was about nine years old, and um, I was in the area that they call the Valley of Death, which is between Little Round Top, Devil's Den, and the Wheatfield. And all of a sudden, it's like a TV screen opened up in front of me. Mm. And I was observing the battle. And I saw soldiers, heard gunfire, smelled gun smoke, you know, the whole nine yards. My senses were all heightened. It lasted about 30 seconds and disappeared. Mm. Now, I'd always sensed that I had something about me that was different. Uh, and that's really the first time that anything had manifested to me. But as time went on and as I spent more time there and, and got older and got into high school and, and back in the 70s, I was doing paranormal investigations back then when nobody even heard of that or looked at you weird when you said that. When it uh, wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I started to realize I was an intuitive. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where it started off at. Then um, after I uh, left, left here, after I left high school and attempted to go to college and came back and living in Maryland. I had an encounter in 1981 with a Bigfoot down in Maryland, down Sykesville, what? Maryland. And uh, that's kind of where my uh, interest in cryptids started. 
uh, I, I really got into it. I started looking into the phenomena pretty heavy, especially around the area. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's where it kind of took off at. And as time has gone by, I've, um, I started the Fams of Monster blog in 2005 and have been doing it since. And, uh, you know, I've written nine books now. And, um, and what's your latest book? Uh, the Meme Humanoids, uh, uh, Modern Myths are Real Monsters, and it has to do with the, um, the pale humanoid uh, sightings that have been generating more and more in the past decade or so. Uh, I believe that there's a possibility that these may be mind-manifested beings or thought forms, if you may. And uh, Okay, so hold on. Time out. <laughs> For us novices, what does that specifically mean? Well, thought form? Mm-hmm. It's a mind generated entity. Basically, uh, it, you know, just like what I call these humanoids means it's a thought or a, uh, a graph or something that's, that's talked about a lot. And to the point where the human mind may actually generate these things. Now, thought forms or tulpas also are, are, are proven to be real. Uh, there have been experiments, paranormal experiments, uh, parapsychologists who have proved that uh, mind manifestation is actually does actually happen. And I think there's a possibility that in, in the case of these humanoids, this very well may be going on as well. Um, so I want to ask both of you a question real quick, um, and I don't. You guys can choose between who answers what first. But um, now, the more I get into this rabbit hole of uh, spirituality, consciousness, unexplained uh, things from ufology to spirits to uh, cryptids, there seems to be an underlying trend where there's a correlation of activity. So let's say somebody sees a Bigfoot. Okay, out in the forest or wherever they are. Uh, typically, they've either seen a UFO before that or like right after that, or they'll see like strange lights in the forest, or they might even see a spirit, or there might be spiritual activity at their home and, and there never was before. Do you guys find that in your research that that's a typical uh, manifestation along with the, um, you know, these things happening where one kind of either invites or triggers the other? Absolutely. Um- to the point where I have trouble separating them myself anymore. They seem to be all manifestations of the same, well, a similar, if not the same phenomenon. Um, look at unusual lights, mystery lights. You, if uh, a good friend of mine, Soraya Askath, who does the Where Did the Road Go podcast, has a saying that that I, I love to borrow. And Sir, I said, you know, somebody sees funny lights in a house, it's a ghost. Somebody sees funny lights in the woods, it's Bigfoot. Somebody sees funny lights in the sky, it's a UFO, but they're all mystery lights. Poltergeist activity follows all of these phenomena all the way around um, a lot of what they call class B Bigfoot activity, where people are in the woods and they smell a bad smell and they get perhaps they get something thrown at them. They might hear banging or knocking, mm-hmm. uh, unknown voices, or um, like a howl. Mind. Doesn't it have like a howl? Like I've heard howls, recordings of it. Howls, all that, but they don't actually see a creature. They hear, they have all this happen. Mm-hmm. Even sometimes they get paced in the woods, and this has happened to me. And it sounds like something's right beside you, 
and you can't see it. You can, but people say, oh no, it paced me out of the woods. Mm-hmm. All of this is poltergeist activity. If, if that happened in your house, you would call it poltergeist activity. But because it's in the woods, people are saying, oh, it was Bigfoot. It was Bigfoot that did this. I mean, you know, maybe it was, but it certainly sounds like poltergeist activity. All this stuff is found along with poltergeist. So I look at you know, the paranormal holistically at this point. I, I try not to separate it. Uh, yes, Bigfoot sightings, especially in Pennsylvania, Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings <laughs> seem to go hand in hand. Uh, other, wares, other places as well, but Pennsylvania is where we live. So, you know, we, and we have a pretty good record going back to the early 70s. And, and uh, Lon's friend and my friend, um, why am I blanking on his name? Stan. Stan Gordon. Thank you, Lon. Thank you. Oh, tongue tied. Uh, yeah, Stan Gordon's work back to the early 70s has shown this connection. And I, I don't think Lon shied away from this pretty much ever. In fact, he was one of the early people I reached out to when I started going, hey, this weird stuff's happening all across. And and Lon wasn't too surprised. He said, yeah, it does. Uh, but uh, yeah, it absolutely happens if, if Lon wants to expand on that. Yeah, this is uh, this is just something that investigators, even myself and Tim and others, have experienced as well. It's um, and, and and more so recently, uh, we get a lot more sightings that are reported to an investigator in Pennsylvania, where they'll go out even a couple of days later and start seeing phenomena, seeing orbs and such, and hearing things and. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems to be that these separate phenomena or aspects of the paranormal seem to be connected somehow. Uh, you know, Stan was, uh, he had reported back in the 70s during the 73 flap here in Pennsylvania of the UFO Bigfoot connection where a UFO had been seen in one particular case uh, out in, um, out off the Chestnut Ridge where uh Bigfoot creatures showed up after after the settings of the uh, of the UFOs, and uh, there have been other investigators over the years who have stated that there's a lot of lot of similar type of activity that goes on. In fact, uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society is actually looking into a uh, a sighting near the ridge now that they don't can't say it's really Bigfoot, but there's a lot of a lot of uh, audio, audio phenomena, a lot of orbs and such, a lot of weird things going on in this one particular area. So, uh, and it's you know something that we've experienced here in Pennsylvania a lot throughout the state. I mean, I just posted a story today of somebody who had very similar type of um, activity. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say it happens everywhere. It does happen a lot of other places, but it's pretty prevalent around here. So I have a few, when I'm looking down, I'm writing questions, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are, you're triggering me for the questions. So here, um, so I believe this as well. I mean, I've had some uh, similar experiences where I have um, had some spiritual activity and then I've seen a few, there's a couple of UFOs in my life that I've seen. Um, and when I was really younger, um, before I really realized what my gifts were uh, intuitively, you know, I kind of played around with the occult a little bit um, in high school you know, like the astro, I could ask project, you know, and I, and it seemed to be when I started to really open my mind up to this, then the activity seemed to find me. Right. So do you feel like, I mean, I know there's a lot of skeptics out there that say I was a skeptic and then I saw a ghost or then I saw a Bigfoot, you know, and I'm not a skeptic anymore, but 
even if you're a skeptic or if your mind is open to it, now you had mentioned, Alon, self-manifestation of um, and thought, you know, like if you think about these things and like they appear, do you think that's, um, I mean, obviously we are known to have telepathic abilities. We're just not um, using them, right, with our pineal gland. But do you think that these beings somehow can reach us or, um, you know, trigger our abilities this way to be open to uh, seeing them, hearing them, feeling them, and then therefore all the other paranormal activity kind of falls in behind that. Where did Timothy oh, go? Timothy, uh, th this is, um, you know, just like, you know, Tim had mentioned poltergeist activity, but basically poltergeist, poltergeist activity is mind manifested. It's um, you go into a house where there's suspected activity going on. Uh, it doesn't take long before you start realizing that uh, one of the individuals is unconsciously uh, mind manifesting some type of entity. There you are. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I lost connection here. That's okay. And, and uh, when that does happen, that's when you got you know that's when you got to distinguish what is actually going on. Uh, Tim mentioned poltergeist activity in 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 the woods in the outdoors. I think it's very possible that uh, either these creatures are either cloaked or just not being seen, or even the person, the witness itself, may actually be man, uh, mind manifesting some type of activity as well. Um, you know, the, 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 the human mind's a funny thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, a lot of act, there's a lot of things that just seem to crop up um, when you're working into a, a an investigation and it happens more and more it's interesting when you when you do talk to somebody say you have a cryptid sighting and you go and talk to them and you contact them and you go to location you're talking to him you know i'm me being an intuitive there's a lot of times when i sense something else is going on and maybe something spiritual is involved or something other than that and you ask them about that, and they kind of look at you like you're crazy. You say, well, how would you know that? Uh, I didn't think that was important. Well, yeah, that is important because mm -hmm. a lot of times there's there's a basis for a lot of this activity. And so and, uh, and I just want to real quick, sorry to cut you off here, uh -huh. uh, Poltergeist. So a lot of the audience may think of the movie Poltergeist mm. where, you know, it was this, this development was built on a graveyard and these are go No, Poltergeist is actually a self-manifestation of... Uh, kinetic energy really right that that, yeah, that seems to yes that that seems to manifest and um activity but you know i find it interesting that every poltergeist star i've ever heard has been mostly negative do you do you find that it it can generate into something very negative uh that's know, why a lot of teenagers are yeah the basis the basis for the man, mind manifestation can go a lot of levels. It's either some type of dysfunction in the family group mm -hmm. or, you know, the, the child is going through puberty and the hormones are raging or something other than that. It, it could be on a lot of different things that could trigger it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that's the case, it's not a matter of some investigator or intuitive or psychic going in there and getting rid of it. You have to, you have to find the problem. You have to, work with the individual who's doing this unconsciously and, and try to calm down the situation. And eventually this, it'll go away. It takes time sometimes. So it takes a lot of time. I've, I've worked on poltergeist cases that have lasted for multiple years. Wow. Yeah. 
do you think that these beans i'm going to go to timothy do you think that these beans um this is i mean personally for me i used to think um like ufos were in the sky and ghosts were in the afterlife and cryptids were i don't know on earth and we just don't really know a lot about them because they're able to like shoulder hide themselves wherever their natural environment habitat is but now that I'm older and, and a little hopefully wiser and I've done a lot more research, of course, I have a history degree. I, I think now more and, you know, science is kind of going along this line, too, that, that we, there are multiple dimensions. So perhaps these are more of like an interdimensional um, event that cross over or, you know, pass through like like I want to say like a time loop. Right. Where. That's why sometimes you'll see a Bigfoot, you'll get a counting like this ginormous being was right there. And then all of a sudden I looked over and it was gone, but I could see the footprints. It was like almost like it just evaporated, went to thin air. So what do you think about these, all this phenomena being like interdimensionally related? And then we just see like little glimpses of what's, you know, kind of looping together. It's possible. I, I'm very cautious about saying it is this or it is that mm -hmm. because the, the truth is no one really knows right. and anybody who tells you this is what bigfoot is they need to provide receipts because so far we don't know what it is mm -hmm. the interdimensional hypothesis let's call it is super interesting and it's it's one that i will i will play with you know kind of mentally play with the idea and certainly like it as a potential explanation but i you know, until we know more about what that could mean, what interdimensional really means and, and what abilities, uh, something that could skip dimensions like that, whether by choice or by accident, uh, what, what that takes and what abilities they have, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of science fiction to kind of play with those ideas. Uh, that, that said, you know, I'm, I'm open to, like I said, considering this as, as an option, but I just kind of hold out and go, well, let's, let's see, let's work with what, what we do know here. And then we can posit these different theories is absolutely fine. But until we know for sure that one way or another, then it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of science fiction, which isn't bad. It isn't bad. That's how we get to answers by speculation. Well, look at a science fiction, look at Star Trek, where they have the little communicators now and we have right, cell phones yeah. that we can see each other or, sure. yeah, you know, no, or, or the fact we've, you know, been in outer space, you know, with launches and things. I'm not going to say we've been to the moon because we're not going to go there, but um, you know, that we do have a lot of technology that was considered science yes. fiction at one point and now it's proven to come to pass. So yeah, I'm not, I'm know. not saying this, the speculation isn't valuable to do it is, but it's just for me personally, I just kind of, you know, I shy away from saying it's this or it's that, you know, so if interdimensional, sure, maybe, you know, uh, I'm, I'm willing to entertain the idea, but I'm not going to say, yeah, that's what I think. Right, is. right. Well, this is all speculation. I know. Let's face it. If you, me or Lon discovered a Bigfoot and we were able to bring like authentic proof, right, we'd be billionaires. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's no proof yet, but hopefully one day. Lon, as I mean, a there's okay. some good evidence. There's some really good evidence. The footprints they have are fantastic evidence. They show things like dermal ridges and uh, mid-tarsal breaks and things that, that people who are experts in primate anatomy look at and say, you'd have to be an expert to fake this. So it really, really argues against them being fake, but they're just footprints. That's all we have. Uh, and you know, we had ghost footprints back in the fifties that you would put, you know, powder down mm -hmm. and, and watch footprints go for ghosts. So the fact that we have footprints doesn't 
you know, necessarily mean that, that there's a flesh and blood creature out there. It just means that at times, whatever this is, has a physical presence in these footprints. Well, and as a historian, um, I mean, I know that uh, I was super fascinated with this stuff too as a, as a kid. And um, I noticed that if you go into the Tibetan area, I believe there's the Yeti, and then we have Bigfoot and the Native American cultures all through the United States. Uh, most of them have like a shapeshifter or a skinwalker or a Bigfoot story, dogman, something like that. So I find it interesting that, um, and I'm not sure about other parts of the world because I haven't really done a lot of reading, but I believe Russia also has like a Bigfoot. But don't you, or Yeti, right? Don't you feel like it? there's some truth in these these stories only because um, they're told by so many people across the world, right, that haven't spoke to each other about this phenomenon, yet their stories um, are, are uh, scarily similar in either the accounts or um, the fact that these creatures do exist. Oh, yeah. I, I, I believe there's definitely connection. There's a lot of different threads to go to, but you know, the uh, Native Americans and other indigenous people thought these beings, for the most part, were spirit animals or spirits. Or, uh, and um, and they might they, be right. And they may very well be. I mean, yeah. these, these things could be interdimensional. I, I believe that most cryptids are, are possibly ultra-terrestrial of some type of, um, that they have the ability to move between uh, our Earth plane and, and a dimension where they reside. Um I think there are indigenous Bigfoot. I think there are flesh and blood that live on this earth plane uh, in specific areas. Uh, but I also believe that there are very similar type beings that, that come through by, by whatever means uh, dimensional wise into this earth plane back and forth and have, a, have the ability to either cloak or transform or shape shift or however you want to call it. But, you know, the evidence, the evidence of no bodies and no a lot of physical evidence of actual uh, existence, it, it, it's pretty hard to dispute. I mean, there's something there that we really don't know. We don't know the answers to. And, uh, and it, it also applies to other cryptids as well. You know, we've been working on this, uh, the Chicago Mothman case for years now. And uh, we believe at this point, this is probably an ultra terrestrial being of some type that has the ability to move in and out of dimensions. And uh, just for the fact that this thing has a fleeting sighting, uh, uh, it's very, you know, nobody sees it, you know, during a day for the most part, it seems to pick its time or the people to see it. you know, there are some, some type of paranormal or supernatural aspects to these beings, as well as with, I believe, with, uh, you know, Bigfoot, upright canines, dog man, any other type of cryptid being. Um, I think there's, there's aspects to it we don't understand. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to ascertain what, what it is that does cause the, you know, their existence. But, uh, you know, the one thing about cryptozoology, I don't think it's ever going to become moot, even to the point if we have fish finding bodies, something else is going to crop up. Well, look at all the pictures that they, you, um, like that thing that washed up. I don't even know what to call it. It was like no hair, kind of had a pig snout and hooves 
and like sharp teeth. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you're talking about the uh, you're talking about the Montauk monster or whatever that was. Yes, yes. I don't know if it's a fake thing, but there. I don't know what that was. (laughs) Right, but but that's isn't that near the uh, facility on Plum Island in New York where they did a lot of like testing and like hybrid hybridization between species and stuff. There's a big story about that. I mean, I I don't know what exact type of experiments they did there. There have been a few things found around that area around Long Island um, over the years. Been a lot of stories. You don't know how how true they are, but uh, I mean that thing was kind of weird looking. But be honest with you, it it did kind of look like a uh, rubber, like like some type of raccoon type mix or something or something to that effect. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's an interesting picture. You. You can't really tell if it was doctored either. It could very well be mm-hmm. doctored photographs. So. And I want, I want to get to that point. Two two quick questions before I ask you the third. Um, mm-hmm. I okay. So I always always thought that there was possibly a connection to mythos of giants uh, as the children of the Nephilim, you know, from the Bible, right? And then mm-hmm. perhaps like bigfoot is the remnants of these beings who were kind of demigods right they were mixed with uh, divinity and then you know hominid um and maybe somehow they're able to survive by shielding themselves or being able to hide from us right but you had mentioned primates um timothy do you think that bigfoot if it if it does exist is a primate or a hominid because the film in 67 that i saw that had a Two, but that had a bipedal gait where it just walked naturally across the wood woods, and it had like a you know the moving arms or she had the moving arms. That does that did not move like a primate that I have ever seen. Well, uh, now you're getting into get a little deeper into the um, biology than I remember. Uh, are hominids a subspe- are subset of primates? Or are they both subsets of of the same order? I, Good question. I but hominid would be my guess that we're all, you know, it would be a, if it's a natural creature, it would have to be a great ape wherein we have more problems regarding um, the other things that manifest like eye shine. There's no high order monkeys that have a tapetum lucidum, which is the coating over the eyes that reflects light. So it would be the only high order primate if it, if it was a natural animal that has this uh, biological feature. Um the diet is a huge concern because if you look at the mountain gorilla and uh, if you put the, a brain our size in a mountain gorilla's body and, and, you know, if Bigfoot are real, they would have to be incredibly smart. They would have to have a brain near to ours or perhaps even bigger because they're incredibly smart, uh, according to all, all accounts. Uh, if you put a brain our size into a mountain gorilla's body, they literally wouldn't have enough time in the day to gather enough food because they're foraging for food and you need to power that big brain. You need to power Mm -hmm. the big body. You need to power the big brain and they don't cook their food. Now, what we do as humans is we cook our food and that allows us to get the most calories out of the calories that we can. We get the most bang out of the calories by cooking the food. Since the woods are not alive with campfires, we can assume that Sasquatch isn't cooking their food. So they're eating, you know, raw food and their impact on the environment. If they have their breeding population would be incredible. They have to be constantly eating. They have to be, you know, it's just, it's difficult to imagine uh, a a natural, you know, creature of that size that's not leaving a noticeable impact on the environment. 
if there's a breeding population of them. Now, again, this is all like if it's a natural creature, I, I can, you know, come down on the side of it's probably something else, probably something uh, paranormal or something with gifted with so many evolutionary advantages that it might as well be paranormal. Mm-hmm. Well, as I mean, Homo sapiens sapiens are, you know, we, we have been evolving for hundreds of thousands and millions of years to, you know, we used to, eat a lot of as nomadic uh, peoples. We used to eat a lot of grasses and things like that, that were not domesticated, including meat and game and things. And I'm not saying we ate it raw, but you know, we are, you know, losing our incisors. We had rougher, uh, I don't know, your eye teeth here um, to bite through the grass and stuff, you know, 100,000, 200,000 years ago. So, I mean, anything's possible, but um, I just thought because of the gait of the walk on any of the videos that I've ever seen, it seems to be, that seems to me to have more humanistic qualities or homo sapiens sapien qualities than would a, a primate. Best uh, we have is, is witness <laughs> accounts. And then with these witness accounts, I've collected them from old newspaper articles that go back to the, the 1700s. Um, you can, beyond that, it's, it's more folklore than, than uh, you know, witness accounts, which there's still value in folklore. Don't, don't, I don't write off folklore. Folklore is our ancestors talking about this stuff and it's kind of changed over the years and, and, you know, it's been whispered down the lane a bit, but there's uh, nuggets of truth in there in folklore. So folklore and fiction, in my opinion, are not necessarily the same thing, but it, these accounts, like I said, that go back at least to the 1700s that describe these things, uh, they describe many of them, not all of them, but many of them describe a very strange look of motion where they will go from two leg upright walking like a human to four leg will drop down on all fours and run on all fours. And the, the, again, these accounts are in the, the old newspaper articles in the 1800s, and they're in modern accounts today. So, um, you know, yeah, the, the, the Patty film, it's, you know, it's got an interesting gait. It's got a, a gait unlike any human walks in that film. Um, you know, it's a very, very strange gait for those who, who, are, um, who pay attention to that kind of thing. It is an upright gate. It's like our gate, but it's not not quite the same. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, super interesting. You know, there are things about these creatures that, that point to it, you know, uh, you know, hey, this looks like, you know, things we do. This looks like other primates. This look like, looks like other hominids, you know, but like I said, there's a lot of questions that surround it for me that I'd say, okay, that, yeah, but it seems like there's something else going on here too. Lon, what do you think about that? Hominid or primate? Well, in cryptozoology or <clears throat> the research investigations we do, we normally refer to them as hominids, and um, and I, I guess that's the, the the only way to delineate it from an actual primate because you know they could be very related to primates just like humans are, but they they do have a lot of uh, aspects to them, a lot of characteristics that are very human as well. So I think hominids is a pretty good definition for them. I always thought when I was a kid, I thought that perhaps, you know, because for a long, long time when um, Darwin came out with the theory of evolution and survival of the fittest, um, I thought that, you know, hominids and primates, um, you know, like everyone else did, came from the same, you know, place, but we just didn't know when it branched out. And I thought perhaps maybe Bigfoot at that time when I was thinking this, you know, perhaps came from the same lot right but because of where their habitat is and their abilities may be evolved in a different way than primates and humans you know because we don't really know and we used to think it was a a trunk of a tree that branched out and that was it now we know it's 
you know, the story of evolution, you've got the Denisovans, the Neanderthals, you know, um, the little people in Indonesia, you got all kinds of hominids out there that, um, you know, have uh, are extinct, but prove that, you know, they, they existed at the same time on this planet and even interbred uh, with each other. So um, I'm, I always wonder if perhaps that, you know, somehow their story got lost in our human history, like a lot of our human history got lost. You know, um, you know, I used to be a very strict evolutionist years and years ago. But, you know, as I've gotten involved with the paranormal and looked into a lot of different things, had experiences, talked to people and such, I, I believe there's a very, very good possibility that there was some type of intervention somehow. Now, I'm not saying it's um, on a religious sense or something like that. I think there's some type of natural intervention that occurred somehow. You mean uh, like like a separation of uh, like uh, Pangea and the continental? That or maybe some type of uh, non-terrestrial intervention. Like? And when I say non-terrestrial, I say beings not of this planet. You mean the Anunnaki? No, not necessarily. Something that's not human. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my whole, the whole panacea for, for history and the paranormal with me is uh, that I, I, I do believe that humans are a universal species for the most part. And that the, the so-called aliens or extraterrestrials that people see now are most likely evolved humans that that have come back somehow that's for I whatever reason yeah. and uh i i think when it comes to cryptids uh and in humans also humans that there has been some type of intervention at some point uh something else got involved uh that either helped direct certain things that helped modify DNA or whatever you want to think mm -hmm. it is. I mean, we have no real proof of it, mm -hmm. but it's very interesting. You know, look, just look at our technology over the past hundred years and how it's, how it's changed and how it's, uh, how it's increased and kind of doubles every couple of years as far mm -hmm. as, you know, there's something else involved here. Mm -hmm. uh, who's to say that these, these, uh, these beings or entities that, may have may have been involved with that may have also been involved with our human our cryptid or life uh on earth if there was some type of intervention at some point um so i'm gonna i'm gonna go way out of like the realm of like probably well maybe you've heard this before but i'm gonna see hopefully it's a little bit of original i wonder sometimes when i look back at history and i read about greek mythos and egyptian mythos there are a lot of cryptid creatures and gods you know demigods that are cryptids both you know yeah, i mean, I mean yeah, yeah i mean and i think there was a reason for that um and I'm not going to get into my my abduction and what I was shown and all that because there have been things that have happened to me in the past. But uh, wait, wait, I, wait, Doctor, <laughs> you can't just spit that out and then not say anything about it. That was well. I had a uh, I had <laughs> about well back in 2015. I mean, this it's a whole long story, but my wife got it was ill, 
and she she got cancer and that whole year and i think tim has heard this that whole year i was seeing references to owls Mm -hmm. you know seeing owls hearing about owls on tv hearing hearing owls outside this and this and that and uh and during that period of time i had two encounters at home with three very tall grade-like beings and mm-hmm. both in both instances i was out because my wife was in the bed in the bedroom because of her illness and she, I, I was sleeping out in the living room and these things would just suddenly show up the side beside me on my recliner wow on two occasions and uh i i know i saw them i mean you know some people ah, you would dream up but no so not long after my wife passed away in the end of 2015. I'm sorry, by the way. Actually, and actually the night she passed, there was an owl outside our, our apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the hospital called me and told me she had passed, then the owl had left. But my son and I were watching his owl for a couple of hours, but then wow. after she passed, it left. And um, But anyway... I, I just assumed there was something going on there. I was being told or warned or whatever. But anyway, uh, a couple of weeks after that, I had there was an abduction scenario where I was involved with, and I was taken to a location where this um, and I don't know if it was in a craft or someplace else. But these three beings were there again, and they were communicating with me. People say mind speak. Maybe it's mind speak. I don't know what it is, but I understood what they're telling me. Mm-hmm. And they showed me <clears throat> a screen. And I was looking at the screen, but it was almost like I was there. And they showed me a massive circular craft. I mean, the size of a huge city that landed in the area, which is now the delta of uh, the Nile. Mm. So it was pretty far out into the, uh, nowadays it would be pretty far out into the, the Mediterranean. So would but that anyway, be like a Mesopotamia area back 6,500 years ago? Well, Amer- it, there's some related relation to that. So the, the dates I got from them was between 13 and 12, the 13th and 12th millennia BCE. Mm-hmm. That's what they told me. Okay. And it's, it seemed that the beings on this craft were human-like, but of course they weren't human. They were some other, well, then again, maybe they could have been humans coming back. But anyway, this is what they showed me. You know, the one question I asked them right away was, is this Atlantis? And they never did. I was going to ask that. you about Atlantis. They never did answer that. And uh, they never have since because I had one more encounter with them later. But anyway, uh, what, it was, what was told to me that this craft was the beginning of an empire, which was the nexus of several of the, the uh, Eastern Mediterranean civilizations, say, you know, the Fertile Crescent, the Mesopotamians, mm-hmm. and the Greeks, and, of course, the, the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And uh, they concentrated very heavily on the Egyptians. And then they showed me... Uh, a time around the 18th dynasty with Amenhotep III was ruling mm-hmm. and some type of event occurred. Uh, it was, it was a very earth shattering event of some something. Uh, I think they, I think they saw a craft, a huge craft in the sky. 
And I believe, because if you know the history, if you know the history of Amenhotep III, he, he had issues with the priest and the, the priests were having, you know, they were and kind he, of rebelling. He was the um, elongated. No, what? that was his son. That's Amenhotep IV, Akhenaten. Oh, Akhenaten. That's right. Okay. And um, I believe that Akhenaten had seen this the way his father was, uh, 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 dealing with the priest and such. And I believe that this was the, the nexus for the monotheistic theism theories or religion of Akhenaten, which of course was the Amarna age for the 17 years, or actually was the 14 years at Amarna and the, uh, the Aten sun God, mm -hmm. of course, yeah. you know, him being what they called the heretic King and such. Uh, they also showed me something else, which, you know, I mentioned slightly in one of my books, but, um, and actually there have been theories about it by others. And in fact, Sigmund Freud had the same theory that, uh, Moses was actually the forgotten son of, um, uh, Amenhotep III, which was mm. Prince Tutmos. And you don't hear anything about Tutmos, Prince Tutmos much because it, it's just figured in history that he died. But uh, from what I was showed, he may have been the actual Moses. Now, I don't know if that is true. I don't know. You know, there's so many different theories about the Genesis, I mean, about the Exodus and, you know, the the slaves and the, the Hebrews leaving, into, mm -hmm. leaving Egypt into uh, to go into the... Um, the desert and such into Canaan. But um, that, that, that was a profound, that was a profound uh, experience that I had. And the fact that they showed me these different things and um, you know, and, and how they went into such detail. Uh, now why they showed that to me, I don't know, but uh, I, I, I believe that there, there is something to that. Uh, and personally, I, I think they're not done telling the story to me. I don't know if they're going to. Now, I did have an encounter later, but nothing really resulted from it. It was very quick. And uh, I don't really remember much about it. I, there may, something may have happened. I've had people tell me, well, you got to get a regression. This, and I, I don't know if I want to do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's been a strange trip the last seven years or so. I find it interesting, though, when you were talking about them, what they showed you, what they were on to show you, and they gave you like that timeline. When you're talking the 12th or 13th century BCE, you're talking the Great Deluge, which there is physical evidence of this throughout the world. And also, it is credited for what I believe is the last remnants of Atlantis, um, the survivors of Atlantis perishing. I mean, I think we have, you know, little tiny things here and there that give us hints of Atlanteans, um, you know, the Atlantis civilization, um, you know, the, the technology. And I think people get caught up on uh, all, you know, advanced technology, but technology, we're not talking about iPhones and social media. We're talking about ley lines in the earth using, you know, a natural grid system to uh, expand on energy, to conduct energy, to, um, to distribute energy. Uh, we're talking about telepathic, telekinesis. You know, we're talking about advanced technology that is in our DNA, 
but we just don't know how to use it, right? And there have been tests in major universities around the world that have tested some of these abilities within, in people, a lot of children especially, that do have proof of telekinesis and telepathic um, you know, tendencies. I mean, I'm sure like back in the day when we all had landlines when we were kids, right? And the phone rang and you knew who it was before you answered the phone, before caller ID or any of that stuff. That's... Mm -hmm. That's telepathic abilities, mm -hmm. but we don't give that credit because we're told that it doesn't exist. So we just well, up. I, I think we have a lot of that because it's something we really lost at some point. Right. Uh, I think everybody's got an intuitive ability, even a psychic ability that can be uh, that can be developed. I mean, I have I learned how to remote view. I was trained as a remote viewer, and I think anybody can learn to be a remote viewer. It doesn't really have anything to do with being intuitive or psychic. It does help sometimes, but. Uh, I, you know, I think any, any human being has the ability to do some things beyond what, uh, you know, what the dogma is as far as being a human nowadays. It's different. Uh, I, I don't like I actually, going into religions, religious terms or religious, you know, aspects of all this. Um, you know, one thing I've always found is very interesting as far as what's going on with um, uh, these civilizations. And I think you probably do know this, that, you know, the Giza Plateau is actually the exact center of the uh, Asian African uh, European landmass. Mm -hmm. And if uh, actually, if you extrapolate um, the lines from the um, Giza pyramid and the, the plateau and you go around, you actually run right through Stonehenge. You run right mm -hmm. through all these major monoliths and ancient, um, you know, buildings and structures um and i don't think that's a accident i think, no, I don't think that's it's an accident. i think that that's somehow these ancient people had a lot more knowledge than we do we rely now on gps but i think they had they were more in tune like with the earth and ley lines and energy and flow than than we are now we rely more on technology right so we i think have replaced our natural ability somewhat with uh, technology. Um, I wanted to um, real quick tell you, I actually remote, have remote viewed before, but I don't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to find a person and I'm trying to find a dog and I was successful in both cases. Um, I used to, my, my sister used to call me up and say, I lost my keys. Where are they? And I'd close my eyes and I'd be like there, blah, blah. And if sure enough, they would be there. Now I didn't know that was remote viewing, but I could, it's, I know this is going to sound weird, but you kind of become the keys or you become the eyes on the keys and then you can like see like where they are and you know you can feel darkness or you can you know no light or or cool if cold or you know so i was able i've been able to locate objects and things like that um and i'm not sure how i have that ability but and i didn't know it was remote viewing for the longest time i just was able to do it so like well, you said, remote viewing and then there's uh you know, people who are highly intuitive can go into a, like a, a phase of remote viewing where they can actually pick up on these type of things. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think everybody is able to do that to a degree. Now, I know we're getting away from cryptids. Uh. No, that's okay. That's okay. You know, um, the ancient gift is named because of um, my exploration of knowledge. And um, we're going to get back to crypt circle back here in a minute because I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, I'm going to go with Timothy real quick. Um, okay. So I've always been fascinated with mermaids, centaurs, like fairies, like all these things. What do you, are there, do you think there's truth in this, these folklore, or do you think that these are just. Well, you're speaking the right guy with Tim. The fictional <laughs> imagination of, you know, amazing people back in the day that wrote about these, you know, cr creatures. No, I mean, people are still seeing this stuff today. Right. You know, it's, 
it, like I said before, I think it was our ancestors were talking about these things. They were telling us how to deal with them. Uh, the rules that they laid down, quote unquote rules, uh, in my experience, still apply today. Uh, for instance, um, there's a lot of cautionary tales as regards to entering gifting situations with these with these uh, entities, whether you're you know leaving food out and uh, taking things in return, and it uh, can get to a very uh, hairy situation. No pun intended. Uh, and our ancestors wrote about that in folklore. They said, you know, do this, don't do that. And in my experience, it very much applies. So I think it's it's probably hard-won wisdom, you know, over hundreds of years before somebody finally wrote it down. And again, there's a bit of whispering down the lane. So, you know, uh, it might have, you know, a 10-foot a hairy man uh, that somebody saw in the woods might have turned into a, you know, 25-foot giant that somebody saw, you know, roaming the hillside or something. But uh mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of this wisdom still applies and a lot of these types of creatures. I mean, today people report seeing goat man. What a weird thing that is. Well, pan and other, you know, the satyrs back in the day, mm-hmm. um, fairies took all kinds of forms, big and small. When people say fairies, I think because of the modern, uh, you know, representation, Tinkerbell and so forth, people think oh, they're always tiny, but no fairies could be giant or small they could seem like they could take all different shapes and sizes um good bad and everything in between uh so it's i don't think that we ever stopped seeing these things you know i i think probably culturally things change a little bit i think uh if if we take bigfoot would uh we talked before about how you know all these different Bigfoot type creatures seen all over the world. To my knowledge, every every civilization had a wild man. We just call them generally wild men. And give them different names, but generally every civilization had a wild man that lived in the woods or in the mountains, uh, sometimes even in the desert beside them. Um, this wild man archetype, let's call it, seems to change a little bit. The medieval wild man was very much a wizard. He was this wise guy in the forest. They also would refer to him as a wizard. Uh, when you get up to Victorian times, pre-Darwin, mm-hmm. uh, you often get these wild man reports where they'll say it was a, this is a hairy guy in the forest, this big, big hairy guy, but he was wearing scraps of clothes, like torn up clothes, sometimes carrying a beat up musket uh, that won't fire you know, like a rusty old musket or something or or an ax They're you know, they're sometimes seen, you know, building fires, which we don't get with our wild men today. As you move up to Darwin and post Darwin, when we, when the West becomes aware, we did not discover the mountain gorilla. The African people knew it was there already, but the West became aware of the mountain gorilla in the late 1800s. Then people start calling them gorillas. And then they had the, the aspect of them, tends to change now these aren't hard and fast rules it doesn't happen overnight but it it changes a little bit and then you get this hairy gorilla reports in the newspapers Mm -hmm. that people are seeing in places where there aren't there are not gorillas and they'll say oh must have escaped from a circus well we know exactly how many gorillas were in the united states at any one time and they're nowhere near enough to account for all these gorilla sightings and uh they just didn't let them escape. I mean, so that when they did escape, they tracked them down because they were very, very expensive. So that, you know, people, oh, they were just escaped. Certain, no, they were not. So people were seeing what they were calling gorillas. When you get up to the 1930s or so, then the monster movies come out. Then the reports in the paper change and people are seeing big, hairy monsters. 
because culturally we have something else to reference now. We've got the monster movies. This continues until the 50s or the 60s where the Bigfoot phenomena happens. And then we say, oh, we have Bigfoot. But the trend of the wild man is to get wilder over time. So remember, we went from this wizard in medieval times to this kind of crazy mountain man, half human, you know, hairy thing, carrying tools and wearing clothes in the 1800s to our today. Our Bigfoot is a very, very wild, wild man. And I think like, you know, again, this is just my theory. As we get further away from nature, our wild man necessarily, because it's our inter that's between us and, and nature, our wild man gets wilder. So we get, you know, we, we don't ever have to be in darkness. Now we have electronic lights. We don't ever have to be cold. We don't have to live within the seasons. We have temperature controlled houses. Nature really doesn't affect us the way it did in the past. And we're, we live further and further away from nature. The further we get away from nature, the wilder our wild man gets. The opposite happens with UFOs. UFOs in the 1800s were airships. They were balloons, uh, zeppelins before we had zeppelins. And then they turned into kind of Art Nouveau, you know, saucers on up into, uh, you know, the black triangles in the 70s, which were before we had stealth ships just before. They're always a little bit ahead of us. And now they're like, you know, people reporting like, you know, balls of plasma and, you know, technology. So the UFO technology is always ahead of us. It's always beyond us. The, as the UFO gets more technical, the wild man gets wilder. Again, just a theory, but it seems to uh, certainly apply. Um. So I kind of had it. I don't know if anybody else has ever pitched these, this theory to you, but um, I, I do believe that uh, giants existed. Okay. So I'm going to go in a little bit of different direction. Um, and I think, um, and for whatever reason, academia and uh, powers that be don't want us to really know about giants. That's why they confiscate all the bones and try to blot out all the history of, you know, uh, giant beings, uh, hominids. Right. Um, but there's that condition of, um, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher this, but um, hypertrichosis, which is hair all over your body, you know, whereas I, I wonder sometimes if perhaps there was a, stay with me, uh, um, a man, like a giant hominid, okay, like they're giants, you know, eight, nine, 10 feet tall, and, and uh, they had this condition which would make sense, you know, and they somehow managed to survive without being detected. Let's say when people say that's impossible with our technology now, but if you've ever been to the Pacific Northwest, specifically like Washington and Oregon, there are millions of square miles there of unexplored or barely explored or used uh, forest and, and woodlands. So I'm wondering sometimes maybe we just haven't discovered this species as far as it could be like a hominid with this kind of, like condition, hairy condition. I mean, is that too far out there or? <laughs> I mean, you know, to, to assign hypertrichosis to a, to a, uh, you know, some kind of uh, tall humanoid. I don't know. I don't know. It's too far out there. Could there be a species of some sort that we aren't, we haven't discovered in the Pacific Northwest. I allow a small possibility for that personally. Now, again, this is just me personally. Uh, it could, but in Pennsylvania, where, where I get tons of Bigfoot sightings, Lon gets tons of Bigfoot sightings every year. There, I just, there can't be a breeding population here. We would know we there's in York County where I live, there's no wilderness. And I get reports all through the year, all times a year uh, of these things, you know? So if there was a breeding population here, we'd know it. We would hundred percent know it. Uh, they would leave a mark on the land. So at least where we are, 
I don't really <laughs> leave any chance of there being, you know, a, some, a natural breeding population of these things in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe I haven't explored every square mile, you know, I'm, I'm not, but the longer we go on without finding a body, uh, having anything in the, um, in the uh, historical <laughs> records, the fossil record that really corresponds to this thing, um, you know, the, the more doubtful I am, but, but I'll allow a possibility like maybe, maybe the, the giant skeletons you're speaking of um, are very interesting, but I think they're a different thing from, from Bigfoot. Uh, <clears throat> all reports of them seem to be human skeletons. They're very human, just big, just right. right. Um, but if like the early reports of the Susquehannock Indians, absolutely. I'm just going to say, yeah, they, they, the male Susquehannock Indians were reported you know, to be between six and seven foot tall, all the, all the males at the time, those are big. Those are, those are big people. Mm -hmm. um, so when they're finding eight and nine foot skeletons, you know, it's not that much taller than what the Susquehannocks were reported to being, you know, so there could have just been, you know, a group, a tribe of, of humans here that were just really tall, mm -hmm. you know, as, like as the Susquehannocks were reported to be. Um, you know, which doesn't make it any less amazing, you know, it's still pretty amazing. And uh, it is unusual that uh, these skeletons seem to go missing. That's, that's a, that's a strange aspect of it. You know, but, that whole Susquehannock thing, even, you know, yeah. since they all died out now and uh, I mean, right. the last remnants were in Conestoga mm -hmm. uh, at, the, at one point, but they, they all got pushed out or died. But uh, there's a lot there that really needs to be looked into because, um, it is a fascinating history. I mean, they were a warring tribe. They did a lot of weird things. Um, they cremated their dead. Very few indigenous people cremated their dead. Especially because you would have to get the fire so hot to be able to, you know, yeah. correctly cremate a, a being, you know. A, yeah. So that'd be very hard to do. But like Tim said, we 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 do know from other uh, other tribes and some of the things that they had that they had documented that these Susquehannock males, for the most part, were, were big. Mm -hmm. And actually, one of the symbols they used to use on their shields and their breastplates was something very looks very similar to Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I don't know. You know. I'm not saying that they're connected to Bigfoot anyway, but no, right. genetically, there may be something there as to, if you're talking about giants, you know, there'd be a genetic, genetic uh, connection there somehow. Uh, you know, if, if you're talking about Bigfoot, you know, in in ancient history or in you know paleontology, there 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 was a Gigantopithecus. This was a huge, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like primate. A, like like a it didn't kind of look like an orangutan, but just ginormous. Yeah, I don't know what the exact sizes, but you know, some of the evidence they have found, mm -hmm. I mean, dictates this thing was big. I mean, mm -hmm. really big. And there, there are some people in, in the cryptozoology world who believe that those um, those Bigfoot that went across, or those creatures that went across the land bridge uh, that came into North America, may have been Gigantopithecus, or those that were starting to evolve from Gigantopithecus. I don't know, uh, but um, you know, as far as actual giants. You know, it's, you know, it's a subject people ask me about all the time, and I really don't know a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Uh, I've got enough to worry about with all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, 
do you guys both special and big specialize like in in bigfoot itself or are there other cryptids that you've done a lot of research on that um you'd like to share i mean well we both do anything that comes across our desk yeah and we do get anything so tell me about maybe the most unusual creature cryptid that uh individually that you have come across um that has totally redefined or reshaped your uh worldview on cryptids or uh made you question alan talks to a lot more people than i do so i'm gonna go ahead and let him <laughs> well i had you know i had been really big in, like i said before into these winged humanoids in chicago in the chicago area i've always been into the um the mothman phenomena and something similar to that but i had an encounter in 1988 here in pennsylvania not too far from where i'm at uh, i think Tim, those area camp kind of walk off. You were just up there not long ago, weren't you? Yeah, we didn't. Uh, they wouldn't let us on the camp. We we asked yeah, them for permission. Know, they, yeah, yeah. But this is the place where I had my encounter. I, I I met a friend of mine when I was living down in Baltimore, who was um, who was a scoutmaster. He and I had been in scouts together when we lived up here, <laughs> and we met by chance, got to talk, and and he he mentioned you know he actually when he was a kid. When we were kids, we used to we used to camp out on Gettysburg Battlefield back then. That's when you could camp out on the battlefield at nighttime. So I'm I'm really dating myself. <laughs> um, and we've both seen a lot of strange things out there because of that. But anyway, he knew I was into the paranormal, and he mentioned to me, he said, "You know, a friend and I, another scoutmaster, are going over to the Camp Conewago next weekend to do some investigating because." A lot of the troops who have been camping out into the wood, the wooded area where most of the campsites set up at, have been run out of there because of these really horrific screaming sounds coming from the woods. And uh, he said, you know, would you mind coming up with this? And I said, yeah, you know, that was back in 88. That's, you know, I was young enough that I didn't mind laying on the sleep on the ground back then. I couldn't <laughs> do it now. So we got there. And we hiked into the woods and uh, we set up three tents, got the campfire going, got everything going. And that first night was pretty, you know, nothing was going on. Uh, though, when we woke up the next morning, the guy who was with us mentioned that, if, asked if we had heard footsteps in the campsite. And I did. I heard footsteps. I thought one of them was going out into the woods to relieve themselves or something. So, But nothing was disturbed, so we didn't think much of it. So we spent the day. This was a Saturday. We spent much of the day out in the woods. And we were going into all areas. I mean, you, you were talking about the um, the old game, the the uh, the game state game land that's in around there. Yeah, we, I think, we. I don't know if that time it was there, but I know that we had something that was state owned. Um, but we were out for about six hours, so we got back about six o'clock that evening, started cooking dinner, and we sat around talking football most of the night. And we're thinking, well, this is going to be a quiet weekend. Nothing's going to happen. Well, about 10 o'clock that night, I figure it was about 10, we heard this screaming sound. Now, it was pretty innocuous. I, it could have been an animal screaming. You know, there's a lot of wildlife around there. I didn't know uh, animals screamed. <laughs> I thought they howled, oh, growled, and barked. Oh, scream. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> rabbits can really scream. They can scream. Uh, a deer Fox. can scream. Oh, Fox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we had coyotes back then here, but they can scream as well. But um, yeah, we thought ah, it's just an animal or something. So we didn't pay any attention to it. So about an hour later, 
Then we heard it, this horrific scream, and it was loud. And it sounded like a child or a woman screaming. And it was like blood curdling scream. Wow. And we took notice then. And uh, it, it sounded like it was coming in and out. So I'm thinking to myself, was this thing flying or dashing around or doing something? So we decided, well, we're going to stay up the rest of the night. So we sat there nervously, I guess. And after a while, I got up, stretched my legs and walked around a bit. And I walked out to the trail. The trail, the, the, we had the campsite and the trail was between the campsite and the creek, Conewaga Creek. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was standing at uh, something just doesn't feel right. So I went on back to those guys and said, look, let's grab our flashlights, go out on the trail a bit, walk up and down, see if we can find it. Okay. So uh, we walked back to back on this trail. We weren't very far away. We were like 50, maybe 50 foot from the trail when we saw this thing standing in the creek. Now, this was in the fall. The creek was really low this time of year. And there was enough light in from the moon that it was, we could pretty well see through the woods and into the, into the, the creek. But there was something standing in the middle of the creek with bright red eyes. And it wasn't just like reflection. It was, it was like something projecting red light. And we, by the time we got the flashlights on this thing, it literally jettisoned into the air with a whooshing sound. And as like it took wings? off, no, like it just shot up into the, just like a rocket. I mean, no wings, no nothing. Hmm. Uh, no wings were spread out, though it had wings. We, we later figured it had wings on its back. But uh, it got to its apex and let out a hellish scream, then took off. Uh, we're running back to the campsite, and my buddy's not talking. And the other guy, he asked me, he said, did you see something on his back? And I did. I saw the structure on his back. It looked like it might have been folded wings. Mm-hmm. But we never saw any wings open up when this thing took off. So my buddy eventually opened his mouth and said, well, I'm not sleeping down here at night. I'm going to go up to the administration building. So those two guys went up there and slept. I stayed down there. I wanted to see By it. yourself? But, yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, I wanted <laughs> to see this thing. But nothing else happened that night. Now, years later, I got, uh, you know, I had had the blog. 20 years later, I put it up on my blog, exactly 20 years later. I A few people had known about it, but I didn't really mention a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I posted it on my blog. A guy who lived over in Dick's Dam, uh, I guess that's just upstream from, from there, uh, he, he sent me an email and said, you know, I've been hearing this thing screaming for years now. And I never knew what it was. He said, now I think I might know. I said, well, okay. You know, I didn't really think much of it. But a couple of weeks later, I got another email from a scoutmaster. He told me that he and his troop had been up there a couple of weeks before that. And it was during the day. And the boys had been up on down the trail, you know, screwing around. And uh, they came running back all excited and freaking out, saying they saw a dragon on, on the trail. Of course, mm-hmm. the scoutmaster thinks he's pulling his leg. And he said, okay, he saw a dragon. But he said they were upset. So uh, they stayed around camp the rest of the weekend. So, you know, they didn't go back over there. But, um, you know, he said, now maybe that was the same thing that you saw. But since that time, now, I, I posted that in 2008. And since that time, I've had six sightings up and down the Conewago. Now, the Conewago, it... it 
it's a fairly long for a creek because it runs from from um, from Camp Conaway, it kind of goes west, then it turns and heads east and empties into the Susquehanna, which is maybe like 15, 18 miles away from there. And because uh, Tim knows, because he's got a research area around there. Um, and uh, yeah, I've had sightings up and along the Conaway Creek uh, from uh, Dover west into uh, Hamden around that area. So yeah. Yeah, so there have been sightings, and, and down mm-hmm. there, down there where Tim's at, and yeah. we've had sightings down there as well. So yeah. what? So, so what is this? The Dogman, or is this? No, a, this is. Uh, I think I. You know, I. The, the interesting thing about this sighting that we had was it was very similar to what we're seeing in Chicago. It's a a wing uh, like a membrane wing being with bright red eyes for the most part, very thin, emaciated looking, very dark in color. Sounds like a demon. Foot. Well, we've had people calling it demon. Right? Does but, that, I mean, uh, your, your typical demon description, it sounds like a demon. I guess. I mean, if you want to call it that. I mean, the head is somewhat small, but it's got these huge red eyes on it. Um, and a lot of the sightings, this thing doesn't use its wings. It has some ability to fly without using its wings. Now, some people have seen it flapping its wings. But... Uh, to this to this point, just until the other day, we had our 142nd sighting that well, we believe is valid. So uh, yeah, but like I said, we've had sightings around here in in uh, here in South Central Pennsylvania uh, as well. The same thing, not just the ones on Conewago. We had one in Littlestown. We had one out there. What was that? Uh, what's that area out there? Was that the the Doors Furnace area? Cadors Furnace, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which so, isn't uh, terribly far from from the mouth of the uh, Kanawaga. It's kind of in between yeah. the Kanawaga and the Kadoras there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is what I think. What I'm hearing is this the Mothman. I mean, maybe. Maybe. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think Lon's careful to refer to it as a winged humanoid. You know, because yeah, I don't like calling it the Mothman. You know, when this stuff started out in Chicago, I was calling it the Chicago Phantom, but the press, of course. The media they they wanted to put Mothman on there, so I went ahead and relented and used it just not to confuse anybody. But yeah, that's what they call it now—the Chicago Mothman. I was just wondering because that I, that sounds like the the accounts that I've I've read and researched. Uh, it sounds like the moth, you know, like a Mothman sighting. So, what do we think about werewolves? Are 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 these would these be considered cryptids or? Is this just folklore, legend? Like, what do we do? We have any validity to this? Well, we've had a lot of sightings. Yeah, people are seeing something that that answers to that description. Uh, I think I think that um, people like to use the term dog man because they don't want the idea of werewolf is something that uh, transforms, mm-hmm. and I think people are um, don't want to necessarily give the idea that these these things have transformed from from humans on full moons or something like that. Mm-hmm. I go ahead and just use the term werewolf. Like six, I'm a folklore guy. And I think we had a perfectly good name for these things already. <laughs> Why confuse the issue? But, um, you know, I mean, Lon's taken a ton of reports of those. Yeah. Uh, I'll get them occasionally, but he's gotten a lot of reports of those. Uh, you know, what he's, he's called the uh, Lichen Loop here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, my former colleague, Butch, and I used to work on, he just passed away a couple months ago. And uh, we were pretty heavy into these lichens, these Pennsylvania lichens. We called it the Lichen Loop. It was kind of a oval 
area between the Allegheny Mountains heading into central Pennsylvania, southeast into uh, Lancaster County, actually. So um, that's where most of the sightings have been occurring. And it's an area with a lot of game lands and a lot of uh, mountains and ridges and such. So, um, but like Tim, I don't think there's a breeding population with these either. I really don't. Uh, we have found no evidence of that. Uh, they just, they're very fleeting. They show up and then they go. Um, but most of the sightings that we've been getting are upright beings that are, you know, bipedal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you say lichens, I they, pe- the descriptions p- people give us are like those of the underworld movies. Mm-hmm. The lichens, those huge nine, ten foot tall beings. Uh, and these are huge. Now, of course, we do get quadrupeds. Uh, the quadrupeds we get in, for the most part have like a hyena look to the body structure, but many times they have a wolf-like head. And uh, we get quite a few of those too. But, you know, we get a lot of those throughout the state. Uh, so Pennsylvania has had, and historically, we've had these sightings. Um, from South Central Pennsylvania down into Maryland, we've had the Dueo sightings for over 100 years. Uh, a lot of the people who, who uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch who moved from the old world and, and started building farms mm-hmm. in South Central, then down into to Maryland, used to used to document the Dwayo sightings of these uh, werewolf-like creatures. So, uh, yeah, we have quite a rich history of cryptids in this part of the country. What do you think of, um, I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but out of all the research you've done, all the, all the thousands of reports that you've taken, or hundreds, as it were, um, and all the many, many decades that you both have between you researching, uh, is there any one cryptid that stands out to you that is more believable or more provable um, in your research? Well, like I said, we have very good footprints uh, when it comes big to Bigfoot. Um, you know, what that means is something else because along with these very wonderful five-toed footprints with dermal ridges and, and all these wonderful stuff, we also have these really weird three-toed footprints uh, that, are just really odd that, you know, where people had seen a big, you know, big hairy upright thing. And then the footprints it leaves behind are these like, like giant bird feet or something, these weird three toed footprints. So, you know, along with the, the very convincing and very, you know, seemingly, uh, you know, almost zoological quality evidence on one hand, you get this weird evidence on the other, but uh, you know, there's a lot of good evidence. The, the problem with, and, you know, this is, we could probably do a whole podcast on just on disappearing evidence in the paranormal. Uh, a lot of this evidence goes missing, um, especially if it's uh, like primary evidence. So when I talk in terms of footprints, that is if we use like, um, uh, like uh, the relic terminology from the Catholic church in terms of saints, you have a, a first class relic is like a, like a part of a saint, mm-hmm. the saints bones or their fingernails or something like that. Second class relic would be, you know, something that belonged to the saint, something that the saint touched. So the best we have are, are these second class, you know, relics, essentially. So these, these footprints that we've made casts of, we don't have their feet. We have the prints from their feet. Mm-hmm. Any kind of first class relic, people collect hair, people collect, you know, blood. Uh, it tends to go missing in an incredible rate, um, way higher than it should. It'll, they'll disappear in the mail. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll be sent to the labs and stuff and the labs will lose them somehow. 
um, this primary evidence goes missing. It tends to go missing, which is a very strange thing. Uh, the bodies, the number of people have claimed to, to have killed Bigfoot, shot him dead. Uh, probably, I don't know, eight cases I, I listed in my book, something like that. 100% of the time, not, not 99% of the time, not 98% of the time, 100% of the time, those bodies are missing. We do not have them. We cannot put our hands on them. One way or another, they disappear. Often they say, oh, the creatures came and took them or a black van from the government came and, and spirited away or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. My point is it doesn't, we don't have access to them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter by which, you know, how they were taken away. We don't have access to them. So there's a big problem with missing evidence uh, when it comes to Bigfoot. That said, I, I guess, you know, Bigfoot would have better evidence than, than any other cryptids, I, I, I would think. And that might just be because it's more popular and people have put more focus on that. And well, I, I think, agree with that. And I think that people who would doubt this, I'm, I'm just looked at an article. So the Smithsonian admits to destruction of thousands of giant human skeletons in the early 1900s. This is an article uh, published um, in 2014 where the Supreme Court ordered the Smithsonian Institution to disclose that it destroyed silver giant skeletons in the early 1900s. So this is not out of the realm of possibilities, right? Where these things just magically go missing, you know? So I, yeah, I mean, but the end result is they're still gone. We, we can't, you know, observe them. We can't experiment on them. We can't, uh, we don't have them. So however they go missing is kind of beyond the, you know, it doesn't matter. They're, they're still going. And if people want evidence of this, they should um, read about Brian Forrester and the uh, Paracas skulls. You know, he had spent years trying to get these tested to see what DNA lie in this, the Paracas skulls. And literally every call, every institution, um, you know, would not do the DNA test and they ended up doing it and it had fascinating results. We're not going to go there, but what I'm saying is that this is not um, abnormal for governments around the world or whatever is behind this to, you know, magically make these um, cases disappear or people like you both and me who believe in these things, you know, look, make us look like we're crazy. Right. So. Well, you know, the, the U S Smithsonian, even the Soviets had a bad habit of losing Bigfoot and other cryptid evidence mm-hmm. for years. Uh, there, there, there has been some very good anecdotal evidence uh, testimony of these things, actually these, this evidence, even bodies showing up in, in these storehouses and then they're just not there anymore. And, um, you know, the whole D- the whole Bigfoot DNA debacle is, you know, this, you know, this has really been going hot and heavy for over a decade now. I've known several people who submitted samples and, uh, you know, blood and tissue. And uh, the results that come back are always there is some type of connection with humans. But that's about as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. Now, why it doesn't go any further than that? I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is there something being withheld? I probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, I don't know why the government, even if it is the government, if the government or any other entity is trying to suppress this, maybe there's something that we don't know. But well, you, you know, have to look it, at, I mean, just look to the Vatican vault, you know. There's a lot of information in the Vatican vaults, you know, that has been confiscated through millennia 
that they don't want us to know about. And I think I, I really think that in my personal opinion, uh, religion has been weaponized. Right. So this is a con- this is a control construct. So the existence and the acknowledgement of cryptids. Right. Would go against a lot of the uh, belief systems um, for the major religion, you know, Abrahamic religion. So perhaps that power structure still in place behind the scenes and they don't want this information disclosed. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I yeah. mean, it, it does seem when you, when you're talking about anything to do with paranormal or UFOs, cryptids, anything, it, it just seems that uh, any official, any official disclosure is, is going to be few and far between if mm-hmm. any. And um, you know, I think they like it like that and they're just not going to go beyond that. So any, any closing, uh, or go ahead, Timothy, you're going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to give an example just as regards to, you know, UFOs. I think a lot of people are waiting for, uh, the government to give them an answer one way or another on UFOs. And I just, I don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. I you no. know, they can't, they can't repair bridges and fill potholes. I don't think they're going <laughs> to, they're going to solve that mystery. I don't think they know, but I think they're very, they're very happy letting us think that they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah, we think they know more than they actually do. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of every once in a while you'll have a congressman or a senator jump up and start raising a stink and want some disclosure, but you know they'll throw out a, an old disclassified, unclassified case, and like the TikTok, uh, the TikTok, uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. craft. Uh, I mean that dude was disc- unclassified a dozen years ago, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people who were involved with the community knew about that case anyway. So, um, yeah, they're just they're going to spoon feed us as long as they can. So um, if you either one of you would like to be contacted or if people have questions or accounts and they would like to contact you, is there an email, Facebook Messenger, some kind of communication where they can email you or contact you to let them, you know, to tell the tell their story to you or Easiest place to get me is strangefamiliars.com. That's the home for my podcast. And uh, we have uh, stories every week, sometimes cryptid stuff, sometimes ghosts, sometimes UFOs, sometimes uh, history. So we do a whole bunch of different things there, but uh, you can listen to the podcast there. You can find links to my books. You can find links to me. All the contact information at strangefamiliars.com goes right to me. And uh, my blog is phantomsofmonsters.com. Uh, it's a daily blog. We get stuff we put up there from, you know, anybody has any information they want to send me, they can send it to my my email, lawnstrickerphantomsofmonsters.com. The uh, Phantoms of Monsters 40 research team, which Tim is a member of, uh, we our website is cryptidhunters.org. And uh, I do a YouTube live show every Friday night at nine o'clock at Phantoms of Monsters Radio. And occasionally we do a Wednesday show where we read uh, live narrated cases that come our way. Is that nine o'clock Eastern time? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's to make sure people know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks you guys so much for your wealth of information, knowledge, and experience. I really appreciate you joining me. And until next time, everybody, this is the ancient gift. I'm October Hallam, and we'll be seeing you soon. <laughs>